0: Listeners, have you ever seen a ghost? Well, our protagonist has this gift. The gift to see the dead, but has no way to communicate, and no means to understand them. Yet see them he does nonetheless. Ad Nauseam, Ad Mortem, Ad Infinitum, by MP Real Invective, is a tale about discovery, self-understanding, mystery, and betrayal. I won't reveal any more, I want to keep this a surprise. This episode is not for little ears, discusses themes of suicide, medical apparatus usage, and death. Keep those little ears away, mates. Now of course, before we start, a huge thank you to my three white tea warlords. Matthew J. Bauer, Detective of the Night. Maya, the clairvoyant, and divided by zero, my spiritual healer. You three listeners support the podcast and me at such an amazing level that I'm often lost for words. But not today. <laughs> Thank you so much for being so damn brilliant. Your support goes an immensely long way. Thank you so much. And of course, my old grain forces Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffaelli, and Michelangelo Iacone. The lifeblood that courses through this podcast veins. Thank you for being the staple that keeps this podcast blood pumping. Lastly, as of right now, thanks to all of your support, I'm ranking under fiction between top 20 to 40 in Hong Kong, Italy, Sweden, Brazil, France, and Germany. A big shout out to all of you listeners out there and thanks for listening. Now turn the lights off, the sound up, and pay real close attention to the sounds of your house. I don't think it's the house settling, do you? Ad Nauseam. Have you ever seen a ghost? I don't usually ask that question because... Everyone will typically start telling their typical bullshit story of seeing an old woman in their peripheral vision one late night, hearing voices that aren't there, or maybe even picking up a phantom hitchhiker on a late night after driving for too long. I ask this question because I want you to have your spiritual encounter on your mind while I tell you my story my encounter with the afterlife wasn't very typical and i doubt that after listening to my story that you'll be able to see yours as ordinary either it all started in early 2001 when i was 13 years old my family had just moved to a new city after my father lost his job he was lucky enough to find work in a small town in michigan the town kalamazoo was a quaint and quiet community We moved there midway through the school year, so I found that I had about 5 or 6 months of free time before I could attend school and meet the other kids. My neighborhood was built for younger couples, so there weren't that many kids to hang out with during that time. And the cold weather forced me inside most of this time. I was fine with being indoors, I am an avid gamer and love survival horror games. I spent most of my time in my room, which was in the basement playing games and talking to friends I'd left behind when I moved. I was a big fan of Resident Evil and was slowly getting into Silent Hill around that time. Just a small note about my house in Kalamazoo. It had a main floor with a kitchen, living room, and a bedroom bathroom. The basement had a wide open area, my room, and a room with a water heater off to the side. The house was old. It was built sometime in the 1950s, and was refitted to be more modern. Asbestos was replaced by insulation. Lead paint was removed, and copper tubing was put in. It reminded me of the old ship of Theseus conundrum. At what point of repairing and replacing parts does the house stop being the same house and become a completely new house? Did I live in a house that was from the 50s, or was it now a completely new building? I've been known to wax philosophic from time to time. Sorry about that. The house had its fair share of problems. It was freezing in the winter due to poor heating, particularly in the basement. Every now and then I would wake up to find my breath fogging in the air. I slept with the heater in my room to combat this invasive cold. I accepted this drawback in exchange for the privacy that it afforded me as a teenager. Privacy was of the utmost importance. The house also made sounds at night. My parents told me that it was just settling on its foundation, but I wasn't so sure. It started with the most innocuous of things. Whenever I was settling down for the night, the sound of a door lightly bumping into the frame could be heard. At first I thought it was just a wind current generated by the heating system, or pressure change pushing a door into the basement closed. I told myself that the next few nights it happened. I held tight to that belief when the sound persisted even after shutting all the doors in the basement to cut down on flow-through. Another noise that was almost always happening at night was the sound of my bed creaking. At first I thought it was me turning in bed and making that sound. Then it started happening even when I wasn't moving. I spent a few nights lying completely still, waiting for the sound of my bed shifting. I would always look over the other side of the bed, but there wasn't anything there. Eventually, I began to get used to the sounds, and they became background noise. A few days passed with the persistent sounds. I would have forgotten about it had I not opened my eyes late one night. I had just heard the creaking sound, and I rolled over to look across the bed. I was greeted with the image of another person right next to me my heart leapt into my throat and my stomach sank she was facing away from me and her long hair ran down her neck she was wearing a white nightgown I laid on the bed paralyzed and watched her she rocked back and forth for a few minutes before getting up the bed creaked as she moved into a sitting position she had her hands in front of her face She sat in that position for a few minutes before she got up and moved towards the door. She moved, slowly. When she reached the door, her hand extended towards the doorknob. She didn't open it, she just phased through the door, and it moved slightly with her passing through it. I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. I spent the next couple of nights sleeping upstairs in the guest room. I lied and told my parents that it was too cold downstairs. I knew I couldn't tell them what I saw. They were already worried about my adjustment to a new city. They didn't need to think that I was going crazy. I stayed in the guest room for a few nights before they began to get suspicious. I went to bed in my room the next night and saw her again. I didn't just see her. I heard her as well. I tried to stay up that night, but I eventually drifted off. As I was about to really go under, I became aware of a sound softly repeating in my room. I opened my eyes and she was there in my bed. She was still rocking slightly, and I realized what the sound I was hearing was. She was crying softly. She was doing her best to stifle her sobs, but They were audible. I should have been scared. But as I listened to her pitiful bawling, I felt nothing but sympathy. She rose to a sitting position and wept for a few minutes before leaving my room. I managed to go to sleep a few hours later on the floor next to my bed. The idea of waking up in the middle of the night and seeing her facing me, dead eyes looking right into mine, was a terrifying thought. She didn't seem to be aware that there was someone else in the bed with her, and I had no intention of making her aware of my presence. I slept on the uncomfortable floor in front of the heater the rest of the night. She appeared every night in my room for the next week. She always repeated the same motions. At the end of the week, I decided to try and make contact with her. I was beginning to feel like a voyeuristic creep watching her at her most raw and unguarded moment. When she appeared, I let her cry for a few minutes before slowly reaching out my hand. My trembling hand slowly crept across the bedsheets. I was terrified that I might get her attention and provoke her wrath. I drew closer and closer to her shoulder. I blew out a laden sigh and reached forward. My fingers slid right through her. It was the oddest sensation I ever experienced in my life. My mind told me that I wasn't feeling anything, but it still felt like I touched her. Later, when I was older, I would come across an article explaining phantom limb syndrome. It talked about how amputees would sometimes feel sensations in their lost limbs, despite the fact that it was no longer there. I think that is the closest analogy I can come up with. I was feeling something that was not there, or at least no longer there. My attempt at contact galvanized me. I shot out of bed and walked around to the other side. She had just risen to a sitting position and was now facing me. She was a few years older than me, if I had to guess. I would say she was sixteen or seventeen. She had relatively plain features, but there was an endearing quality to her simple style. I was shocked and a little embarrassed to be thinking of her like that. I was busy mentally castigating myself when she stood up and moved right through me. If trying to touch her was discomforting, feeling her pass through me was the oddest sensation I ever felt. I had to sit down and catch my breath, and still my heart. The next night I tried to make contact again, but met with the same results. Instead of watching her leave the room and make the sound of the door bumping against the frame, I decided that I had to follow her. I had to figure out what happened to her. She moved slowly through the basement, but wasn't heading in the direction of the stairs. She was instead heading towards the boiler room. I followed her to the door but as soon as I got within reach of the handle, I felt my blood turn cold and my skin prickled. She phased through the door and I stood outside. I was afraid of what might happen to me when I entered that room, but I was more worried of what I would find when I entered that room. I didn't enter the boiler room until a week before class began. I won't lie, those first few months in Kalamazoo, Michigan, were some of the loneliest of my life. My friends back in Simsbury, Connecticut, were moving on with their lives, and I felt like I was being left behind. I didn't have any friends in Kalamazoo yet, and to tell you the truth, I was beginning to see this nightly wraith as a companion, and kindred spirit. She was alone and sad, just like me. Every night I would wake up to the sound of her suffering, and I would follow her to the boiler room. A week before class began for me, I entered the boiler room with her. I had stood outside the door for a few minutes, trying to steel myself for what I might see. My entire body was screaming at me to run back to my room and never go near that room again. But I had to know what happened next. I drew in a deep breath and blew it out. I grasped the doorknob and turned it. The door swung into the open room, and I was eye-level with her feet. They swayed back and forth like a pendulum. I stifled a scream, when I realized that she wasn't levitating like a ghost. She was hanging from a beam in the ceiling. I left the room and went back to my bed. There was nothing more I could do and I had no intention of spending any more time than necessary in that boiler room. I laid in bed and slowly curled up into a fetal position. I prided myself in not being the kind of person who cried openly. But at that moment, the floodgates broke and I wept. My throat felt raw and my eyes stung with tears. I sobbed for a few moments before I realized I was not alone. She was in bed across from me and weeping in that same position she had always been in. (laughs) I tried to find out who she was, but the realtor was tight-lipped about the house's previous occupants. I pressed her for more information and she finally caved, and confessed to not doing any real research on its past. I went to the library, but I failed to turn up any information. I even tried asking the neighbours about the previous owners, but the two families that lived there, before hours, didn't have a daughter or only had an infant daughter when they occupied the house. I had no idea about the girl who appeared every night and hung herself in the boiler room. It was now a routine for me. I would wake up in the middle of the night around the time she would appear. I'm ashamed to admit it, but sometimes I found myself waiting for her. I was hopeful that someday I would break through and tell her what I wanted to say ever since I saw her. I would tell her that she didn't deserve the fate she was suffering. I would tell her how lonely I was, how desperate I was for someone to talk to. I would tell her, I don't know. I always stayed behind when she left the room. I had walked into the boiler room during the day once and I saw her hanging there. She was gasping and clawing desperately at her neck as she slowly asphyxiated. She rocked back and forth in the room, and her feet frantically kicked around, looking for some purchase to save herself. I did scream then. I had to make up a story about seeing a shadow for my mum when she came downstairs, and saw me pale as a ghost and shivering. I started class and began to make some new friends. I even had a few classmates over to hang out. I remember one time, we were playing a video game and the girl passed right through him on the way to the boiler room. My friends couldn't see her nor my parents, only I could. I wondered for a bit if I was going crazy, but I'm not sure that's the case. Well, at least not going crazy back then. She was repeating, always reliving her last moments. She would start out weeping on the bed, then she would rise to a sitting position for a bit before going to the boiler room and hanging herself this happened almost every night but on a few occasions I did catch her walking through the doors on the way to her demise during the day I must have seen her hundreds no thousands of times during my time in Kalamazoo sometimes I would try and talk to her sometimes I would cry sometimes I would do nothing it took me a few years to try and figure it all out But I finally did. I realized what she was doing. I realized what the afterlife was like. There isn't a heaven or hell, at least not in the literal sense. There are only those last few moments of your life, reiterating like a broken record. She was reliving those final moments, maybe trying to make sense of it all. Maybe she wanted to choose another path, but in the end. She always came around full circle, to the noose in the boiler room. This is why the concept of death scares me so much. HP Lovecraft said, the oldest emotion is fear. And the most powerful of all fears is our fear of the unknown. I think he's wrong about that. I know what is waiting for us all. When we die, and that is the scariest thought I can think of. I am so terrified that when I die, I will stay behind on this earth, repeating my last moments ad nauseum, trying to make sense of my last minutes. I know that this is what is waiting for us all, after it is all said and done, and I know that the end is inevitably approaching. Ad mortem. I was just starting my junior year in high school when my grandfather came to visit. He was my father's father, and he had lived in California most of his life. He used to smoke like a chimney, but a few years back he was diagnosed with lung cancer. He was put on oxygen and had to give up smoking. He lived across the country, but had come up to Michigan to visit with my family. My relationship with my grandpa was always strained. If you wanted to be pleasant, you would say that he was an old-fashioned man. If you wanted to be honest, you would say that he was a racist and a sexist who used to beat his children when they disobeyed him. My father was always honest about how he was treated by him when he was growing up. And because I respected my father, I found my relationship with my grandfather to be... adversarial. He originally had come up to visit for a week, but due to health issues... He ended up staying in Michigan for over a year. My grandfather's extended stay only served to put a strain on our relationship. We rarely talked, and when we did talk, I managed discourse in the coldest fashion. Since my grandfather was suffering from lung cancer, he had to carry around an oxygen tank. The manufacturers must have had a sense of humor because they named the gargantuan machine the Liberator. The tank was one hundred or so pounds and sat in a corner by the entrance of the house. The oxygen cord gave my grandpa about five hundred feet to move around the house. I saw the Liberator as a massive ball and chain that anchored him to the guest room, kitchen and dining room. My grandfather was suffering from lung cancer. He had to take a regimen of pills to keep himself going day to day. The cancer had rotted away his lungs. The oxygen was necessary to keep him alive. He could barely move without gasping for breath, and when he talked, it came out as a rasp. The sounds of his respirator clicking on and off, and his ragged gasps became a fixture of everyday life. We had been living here in Kalamazoo, Michigan for about three years before my grandfather came to live with us. At this time, I was accustomed to my nocturnal and sometimes diurnal visitor, who wept in my room before proceeding to the boiler room and hanging herself. My latest attempt to contact her was through a Ouija board. I snuck one of my friends into the house through the emergency fire escape the basement had, which was just a ladder built in an alcove, that led outside. She believed that there were ghosts and that only a select few were attuned enough to see them. I didn't tell her about my encounters. I only hinted that I thought there was something paranormal happening in my room. She snuck in during the night and brought her board with her. We both sat on my bed and put our hands on the Ouija board. I lit a few candles to set the mood. Before contacting the dead, not setting a romantic mood, she said quietly, afraid to wake my parents, Spirits of this house. We beseech thee. I always wondered why people thought ghosts talk like serfs from medieval times. If you were trying to contact your loved one, would you talk to them like they were a 1920s gangster? Yeah, you see? She continued. If there is anyone here besides us, move the planchette and make us aware of your presence. We sat for five minutes with our fingers on the planchette. After nothing happened, She took her hands away and said, "'I guess the noises you've been hearing were just the house settling.' I cracked a smile because, out of the corner of my eyes, I could see the wraith weeping on my bed. My friend was only a few inches away from the ghost girl, who haunted the basement of my house and couldn't even see her. We talked for a bit and then she left. I walked her back to her house and told her goodnight. When I snuck back into my house... The sound of my grandfather's respirator filled my ears. A couple of weeks passed, and my grandfather's condition deteriorated. He was now confined to the guest room. He could barely talk, and when he managed, he had to pause between sentences to catch his breath. Sometimes, when he over himself, his body was racked with coughs and wheezes. My mother took care of him because my father was working, and I was at school. Out of everyone in the house, my mother's relationship with my grandfather was probably the best. She went out and picked up his prescriptions, cooked food for him, kept him company, and changed his sheets. I remember heading off to school one day and seeing my grandfather sitting up in his bed. He now spent most of his time in bed, and was developing bed sores and had to use a bedpan to relieve himself. He had a coughing fit and he covered his mouth with a handkerchief. Sometimes I think I saw something red, staining that handkerchief, but I realize that that little observation that I make now is tainted by the memory of what happened to him later. When I returned home that day, I knew something was wrong the moment I walked through the door. There was something off about the house. There was something missing. It took me a moment to realize what it was, the omnipresent sound of the respirator pumping oxygen was no longer present. The Liberator sat in the corner, silent, like a grave. I went upstairs to find my mother in the guest room, stripping the bed sheets and pillowcases. She had been crying, but wasn't at that moment. My mum didn't have to say the words, but she did anyways. He, he died. died. His, heart His heart just stopped. stopped. There was was nothing nothing that that could could have been done. done. I pulled her into a hug and she broke into a fresh set of tears. I offered to help her wash the bedsheets, but she told me it wasn't necessary. This part may make me seem like a horrible person, but I was glad she turned down my offer. When my grandfather died, he had evacuated and the smell was horrible. She washed the sheets as best she could but ended up throwing everything away. My father took the news like any son would take the news of his father's death. I don't know what I was expecting from him. For some reason, I thought he would be angry. Angry at the fact that his father had never told him goodbye. Never told him that he loved him, or that he was proud of him. He wasn't angry. He was just quiet for a while. He didn't cry at that moment. But I remember going upstairs from the basement and hearing the soft, hush sound of him crying in the night. I tried to take my grandfather's death as stoically as possible. I didn't cry until the funeral, and then the floodgates broke, and I wept as they lowered him in the ground. He may have been a racist, sexist, abusive old man, but he was still my grandfather. He was family, and he was gone. I didn't like him, but I did love him, because he was part of my life. The next month was relatively quiet. My mum and dad dealt with getting his affairs in order and tending to his will. I can't tell you exactly when they started, but I can tell you when I first became aware of the sounds. I was sneaking outside at night to have a cigarette, and I thought my mind was playing tricks on me. I had been so accustomed to the sound that it took me a few seconds to realize what was wrong. I was hearing the whirring and hissing of the Liberator. We had donated the Liberator a week ago to the nursing home. I paused in the darkened hallway and listened. It was a slow and steady sound. Listening to that noise chilled my blood and made my stomach sink. I must have stood still and waited for that sound to stop for a few minutes. It didn't stop. If anything, the sound grew louder. I lied to myself and said it was a trick my mind was playing on me. I went downstairs and passed by the ghost as she proceeded to her death. I kept lying to myself for the next couple of days, as the noise of the Liberator got progressively louder and was joined by something almost undetectable. The respirator kept going throughout the day. This wasn't like the Wraith Girl, whose weeping only manifested at certain times, The noise was a constant, and it was growing louder. The sound obfuscated by the oxygen machine slowly grew more evident. It took me a few days to really begin to hear the wheezing and gasping beneath the whirring of the Liberator. I avoided the guest room at all costs. It was quite a simple thing. There was nothing in there except for the sounds of gasping and wheezing. To be completely honest, I was afraid to enter that room. I could live with seeing the image of the girl in the basement, but I wasn't so sure I could accept seeing the ghost of my grandfather reliving his last moments. I avoided it for a few months before finally succumbing to the curiosity. It was my senior year then, and I was just wrapping up with graduation parties. I had had quite a bit to drink that night, but was still capable of driving. I pulled into my driveway, and a thought struck me. The thought was that I had to see him before I left home for college in a few months. I had to face the ghost of my grandfather if I wanted to move on with my life. I went into the house and approached the guest room. I wasn't prepared for what I would see, and I don't think I ever could have been. I stood outside the guest room for a few moments, trying to steel myself for what I would see next. I listened to the methodical whirring of the oxygen tank and the discordant gasps and coughs that broke through the rhythm. The more I listened, the more I found my resolve weakening. Another couple of minutes, and I knew that I would completely lose the will to investigate, so I swung open the door and stepped into the room. My eyes took a few seconds to adjust to the darkness. The curtains had been closed to the moonlight, giving the room a sepulchral feel to it. The room had grown musty and smelled like mothballs, The wheezing and gasping was louder now. It is just my mind now, but when I recall this moment, I could have sworn that the gasping, rasping and haggard sounding breaths were almost deafening. My eyes adjusting enough to see the shade of something on the bed. My eyes adjusted to see the light, and I could see him clearly. The spirit or echo of my grandfather was on the bed. His body writhed spasmodically on the sheets. It looked like he was having a seizure or a stroke of some sort. His hands clawed at the air in front of his face until I realized that he was probably trying to adjust the respirator on his face. He writhed in the bed for a few more minutes before he fell still. He was dead. The room was silent. I turned around and left the room. As the door closed behind me, The sound of frantic gasping and wheezing started up again. The night before heading off to college, I rolled over in my bed and watched the nightly visitor to my bedroom. She rocked slightly in the bed and wept quietly. It tore at me to know that she was doing her best to keep quiet. Who was she hiding her depression from? Why couldn't she ask for help? She was tragically young. I leaned over to her and whispered to her, I'm so, so sorry, sorry that this, that this happened, happened to you. you. There wasn't much else left to say. I went to college the next day. My first semester of college was going well. I didn't have any ghostly encounters in the dorm, which was a plus. I don't think I would have managed to focus with the spirit of someone constantly dying from alcohol poisoning. I had friends, but in a sad way, I found myself waking up in the middle of the night wanting to see, to talk to her, to talk at her at least. November rolled around and I decided to drive home and be with the family for Thanksgiving. I wish I had just stayed at college. I arrived the day before Thanksgiving and proceeded to catch up with my parents. My mum even rushed outside to hug me as I pulled into the driveway. My old man greeted me with a beer and we sat on the deck as I filled him in on my life at college. My first semester wasn't over with yet, but I was already adjusted to life at college. It was one of the happier moments of my life. Reminiscing about it now leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. We had a good dinner, and I settled down for bed. I was getting ready to drift off to sleep when I heard the sounds I had become so familiar with when I was a child. I opened my eyes and faced the crying girl. I thought of all the usual platitudes that I used to offer to her. You were too young. young. You had so many happy moments ahead of you. You could have been happy. I wanted to tell her all of these things, but something else was on my mind. The thought was that something wasn't right. It was something that I couldn't make sense of until I saw him one more time. I moved upstairs and went to the guest room. The respirator was still clicking on and off, and he was still gasping out of his last minutes in that room. Trepidation filled me. My whole body was screaming at me to turn around, and my mind was begging the same. I knew if I entered that room and witnessed my grandfather's death again, that I would never be the same. I entered the room anyways, and I wish, to this very day, that I had never tried to sate that curiosity. He was still on his bed, gasping, clawing, and struggling in his final moments. I moved close to him and sat on the bed. His body writhed and twisted on the sheets. I knew something was off about all of this. Something in the back of my mind pushed me forward. I leaned in close and watched it all carefully. I watched as my grandfather clawed at the empty air in front of his face. Something was off about all of this. He wasn't clawing at the respirator. When I realized what it was, I knew I had no other choice. I went downstairs and grabbed my suitcase and fled the house. I debated whether or not to wake up my parents and let them know why I was leaving and why I would not return. You can call me a coward or you can call me righteous, but I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't face them with that knowledge. I threw my suitcase in the trunk of my car and drove to the nearest bar. I never needed a drink more than I did at that very moment. I wanted something to give me the liquid courage to leave Kalamazoo. To leave my family. I was almost in tears by the time I reached the dive bar. I swallowed back my emotions, entered the bar, and sat at the stool closest to the bartender. It was a dive. The kind of place that had sawdust on the floor to soak up sweat and spoil spit. I wasted no time in getting the bartender's attention. I ordered a double shot of whiskey, and downed it as soon as the drink was poured. I ordered another, then another, and another. As midnight rolled around and they were preparing for last call, they decided to perform their night before Thanksgiving tradition. The bartender would go around and ask what everyone was thankful for this season and give them a free shot of the cheapest liquor they had to offer for their response. An old man in the corner said, For health. A young patron who was probably too young to be drinking shouted, YOLO! and was promptly denied a shot. A woman around my age declared, For life and its adventures. And down the drink. A Spanish couple at a booth declared, E FAMILIA! He continued around the bar, until at last he came to me. The bartender came around to me and he asked, What are you you most most thankful thankful for? for? I paused for a moment. I didn't know what to say. The bartender tapped his foot, ready to wrap up last call and finish the night. I had to say something. I couldn't think of anything I was grateful for. He grunted, Come on, buddy. buddy. What are you grateful grateful for? for? I said the first thing that popped into my head. Uh, Ad ad mortem. mortem. I watched the bartender's quizzical expression as I downed the shot and ordered another. I would have ordered another after that one, but in some part deep down inside of me, I knew that I would never erase that image from my mind. The image of my grandfather clawing at something in front of his face. The image of the pillow over him that my mother had been holding down, smothering him. The memory of her disposing of the bedsheets and pillowcase the day I returned home from school only made me feel worse. I tossed back the shot and left the bar, not knowing what to do next. I felt sick. And this concludes part one and part two of Ad Nauseam Ad Mortem Ad Infinitum. Mates, part three will be out and ready for your awesome ears on Friday, my promise to you. Knowing that it was his mother that killed his grandfather, what do you think his options are? I mean, how the hell do you even start a conversation around this? So mum, I saw a ghost of a grandpa get murdered by you with a pillow. So, um, care to explain? Oh, you're calling the sanitarium. A lovely new white jacket. Huh, well, white does look good on me. So yes, I'm looking forward to part three mates. Now, next Monday is a public holiday over here in Australia. I'll do my best to have something out for you lovelies, but I may release it on Tuesday. I'd hate to rush and deliver something below quality for you, but if I can finish it, I will upload it. Lastly, if you know someone who'd love this podcast, let them know. And if you have any stories you want read, email me. Don't be shy, I don't bite except for the one time I was cursed to be a werewolf? Jokes aside, feel free to reach out to me on stories, fables, ghostly tales at gmail.com. And thank you all for listening. Take it easy, and as always, till next, we meet.